Uh, really excited for today. Um, thank you, my man Gavin, coming out. Oh, we love Gavin. Thank you for joining us, Gavin. You're the man. We appreciate you. Um, uh, so today, as uh, many of you know, we're going to be walking through so many of the signs and whatnot that we see um, the yard sign type of content, basically the rally cry for the world around us. We want to do our very best to help all of us think biblically about it, uh, to help some of you be more firm in what um, you already believe, to help some of you maybe begin to understand some of these things that you're seeking out. And so I'm really excited. I'm even more excited because on my way over here, I got a flat tire. Uh, I just got here five minutes ago or so, um, thanks to some angels named Devin and Taylor. Uh, they were very helpful, and uh, Valerie and Austin stopped by too. Shout out to you. And also shout out to this lady named Myra, who uh, is the one who yelled at me on the interstate to tell me I had a flat tire. So I pulled over, and she pulled over with me, and she gave me her air pump so that I could try to pump mine up. And I was, I'm so surprised sometimes at the generosity of strangers because she was like, I have to go to the doctor, so here's my number, just, we'll, you know, get it to me later. You know, get it to me some other, we'll get it, whatever. I'm like, you're just going to leave your stuff with me? You just say, this is really funny. Uh, so shout out to Myra, the good Samaritan, Myra. Uh, I hope that somehow through all this you come to know Jesus. That would be amazing. Um, uh, and so it's been quite the morning, and one of the things that I said from the beginning when this happened, uh, I am forever an optimist, but this is also spiritually true. Uh, if something like this is on, I, I, I texted the team, I said, oh, the devil must be mad this morning. Like, we're, uh, we're, we're on a fight with the devil this morning, uh, and he doesn't want us uh, to help people think through these things or to address these issues. Uh, and so I really, even as much as frustrating as it was, it got me excited to know uh, that something important is happening this morning. Uh, that we would be able to know Jesus better and that we would be able to be discipled in the midst of these issues. Uh, the more we've even stepped into this the last two weeks, even with Sunday uh, and with some of our leadership cohorts, the more I am personally seeing how desperately we all need to know how to make uh, disciples in 2021. And for maybe some of you here, you're just desperate to know the answers to some of the questions maybe a friend or a family member brought you. Uh, maybe these are things that keep you away from becoming a Christian, but you're at least willing to think through them. Uh, maybe the way Christians talk about some of these things are, are the very reasons which make you run away from these issues and make you run away from knowing and loving Jesus. And so I hope today is, like I said, helps you see God's good purpose in the Bible's understanding of these things and also helps many of you firm your faith. So uh, I'll be addressing right now uh, the concept or the phrase, love is love. And then Eric's going to address uh, another a concept. Then we're going to have a panel that's going to boom, 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 hit a bunch of them. It's going to be a great time together. Uh, so today, right now, love is love. That's probably the, the, the most significant but also unclear statement uh, that our world lives on right now. Love is love. It's probably the most important statement on that sign to everyone because everything else falls under that. In terms of the way we should live life, love is love. If you've been to Target anytime recently, or really any store, but especially Target, you've seen it everywhere, all the employees wearing uh, shirts like this, the whole thing decorated with love is love. This is being said and celebrated all throughout our culture. 
And so all I'm really asking you to do today is to think it through. That's it. Right now, my only ask, no matter where you come from on that, whether that's a statement you celebrate and you agree with and say, yeah, love is love, or whether that's a statement you're still unsure what to think about, or whether that's a statement that you hate and you think is really terrible, all I really want us to do together is think it through. And this is important because the phrase love is love technically means nothing. Everyone can agree on that, right? You can't define a word with the word itself. So if I looked up love in the dictionary and the next word to it was love, I'd be like, that doesn't make any sense, okay? I I need some clarity on this. And so I think we all need clarity. And I think really the connotations or the implications of the phrase is what everyone understands more inherently. What are the connotations of love is love? What is the general consensus of what does that mean? I think we all have a decent feeling about that. Uh, But what we need is clarity. And what I want to do today is help provide clarity because no matter where you come from, a person of faith or not a person of faith, a person who loves that phrase or a person that hates that phrase, technically speaking, love is love doesn't mean anything. And so I want to do the very best we can to define love in a way that is helpful and reasonable. So that's one of my goals I'm going to list five um, specific goals for us to help navigate our time so you know what I'm after. The first one I shared on Sunday is not to win, but to worship. The goal today is not to win, but to worship. The goal in any of these conversations is not to win, but to worship. The goal is not to be right. The goal is not even necessarily to be persuasive, which I certainly hope is happening. But the goal is to worship And as especially as we're going to close this out, worshiping in God's love for you, to let John 3.16 really actually mean something, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that's my goal right now, and that ought to be your goal if you're a Christian in here with any of these conversations. The goal is not to win but to worship. The second goal is not to restrict the amount of love you can give and receive, but to expand it. This is very important, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Not to restrict the amount of love you can give and receive, but to expand it. So I want you to hear from me from the very beginning that my goal is not necessarily to tell you what you can't do. My goal, and that's a part of it, but my primary goal is to tell you more what you can do. And God's goal is not necessarily to restrict the amount of love you can give and to receive, but to expand it. And you got to know God's heart. If you're going to understand God's way, you have to know God's heart. And when people try to dissect and understand God's way apart from knowing God's heart, they're going to miss it. So God's heart is expansion. God's heart is that you would have and give more love than you currently have. So the goal of today is not to restrict the amount of love. It's not to narrow the meaning of love. It's actually to expand it, to give it its fullest meaning. So that's what we're after today. As we said on Sunday, once again... Uh, and this is important. If you missed the talk on Sunday or you don't go to City Light, I encourage you to watch that. Uh, it's kind of foundational for some of the things we'll be discussing all month. But we said a fish is only free in water. So the most expansive place a fish can be is the water, not the sky, even though the sky has more space. So what, is, what does it mean for a fish to have the very most amount of uh, life and ability to, sw- to be, and that's to swim around in the ocean. If the fish tries to go, well, the sky has more space, therefore it's more expansive because it's not according to design. The, the place that looks like it has more space is actually going to be destructive. 
And so as we said on Sunday, the most expansive and the freest place you can be is living in the confines of God's word, not the world, because it's like having a fish in water. And so I want you to think about this. Uh, Romans 5, 5, it says that God pours out his love on you by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, Paul prays, May you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's goal is to expand the, uh, your capacity to give and to receive love, not to restrict it or to narrow it down. The third meaning, and um, the third goal today is to clarify and specify the meaning of love. Like I said before, love is love is circular reasoning. It doesn't actually mean anything. You have to give meaning to it. And so I want to bring clarity today. Uh, a simple way for you to think about this is a focused laser can heal your eyesight, but a beam of light would make you go blind. Okay? You need specificity. So love is love is like a beam of light, and it really just makes people go blind because it's not helpful. A focus laser, though, would actually, uh, like my friend Asa just got, would actually heal your eyes and make you be able to see. And that's amazing. Okay, so that's what I want to do today. Okay, the world and the general way of talking is a beam of light. Whew, just throw it at you. What God wants to do and what I want to do is be a laser, and the laser is what's going to actually make it helpful for you. The fourth thing is to speak in a way of love. I just want you to know that from my heart whether you're watching now, whether you send this to somebody. The goal, once again, is not to worship or, I mean, not to win or to be right. The goal is to worship, and the character of worship is love, and I want to speak and talk in a way that has empathy, sympathy, and love. That is my heart's desire, and if anything comes across differently than that, it's because I am still a sinner myself, and so I want you to know the goal is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient, Love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth, which is part of the central aspect of today is that love must be true. Number, uh, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. So that's the spirit at which I hope to talk today. The fifth one, my goal it's also very important, is to free all of us from ourselves. I want to help you this morning and help myself to free you. This is what I would call the burden of self-actualization. The burden of self-actualization, that I look within myself and I find within myself identity, purpose, and meaning, and then I have to actualize that out into the world and my ability to experience pleasure in life comes from my ability to self-actualize, which is really a huge burden and ultimately frustrating, destructive, and harmful. And the world tells you to find your freest self by self-actualization, by looking inside and bringing that to bear in the world and as anybody would tell you, and as anybody in this room has experienced like we all have, that is incredibly, incredibly burdensome. Because all the weight for my happiness in life is on me. And all the weight for my place in life is on other people's approval of me. Because I need to actualize it, and when I actualize it, they need to approve of it. And I want to free you from that burden this morning. 
Jesus said in John 8, 32, that it is the truth that sets you free. So I want you to know it's the truth that sets you free, not trying different things. It's the truth that'll set you free. And what I feel like people live by now is an effort to try different things, to actualize different things, to express different things in an attempt to find freedom. As we said on Sunday, real freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do now, but the ability to do what is best for you forever. This is so important. I'm probably gonna say this definition every Sunday and every time I get up to talk about any of these things because the goal for many people is freedom, and I want you to understand, real freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do now, but the ability to do what is best for you forever. And that's what God is after for you. So once again, you have to know God's heart. God wants you to be happy forever. And he's going to give you the pathway for that. So here are the two statements we're dealing with today. Very simple. Culture says love is love. And the Bible says God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Love is love and God is love. We're going to hold both these up. And we're going to see which one seems to be Uh, the best meaning and understanding of love. So what does culture mean when they say love is love? What does culture mean? Like I said before, this is circular reasoning, and I think it's purposefully ambiguous because it allows the definition to be subjective. So if I say love is love, you could take it one way, you could take it one way, and as a matter of fact, everyone can just live according to whatever principle they think is helpful within that definition. It's purposely ambiguous so that people can treat it subjectively so that people can define love however they want to do. And today I want to give some clarity on that because no one, no one, no one actually believes that love is love. Everyone has boundaries, particularly on romantic and sexual relationships. Even the most open people in the world have boundaries on when love really is love. Like say, nobody would look at a parent and a child involved in an inappropriate relationship and say that love is love. No one would look at that. No, they would say that's child abuse. You need to go to jail. Right? No one would look at even uh, a 50-year-old and a minor and say, well, love is love. Love is love. Nobody would say that. And so I think one of the things we have to understand is every single human being has boundaries on love. Everyone. Everyone. No matter your religious preference, no matter your upbringing or tradition, every single person has boundaries on love. Nobody is completely free to say love is love. So now the question is, what boundaries do we use and which ones are true and the most helpful? But everyone has them. And so let's look at a, a couple things. I, I, to kind of understand more about love is love, I just obviously went on Google and learned, you know, more and more. I found this article on a website called Bustle. I have no idea what else is on that website, so I'm not saying you should go there. I have no idea. But I found an article of this person who went to a Freedom and Equality March and basically asked people, what do you mean by love is love? So I found that helpful. That's kind of what we're after. What, is, what do people think that means? So I just picked three of my, three of my favorites, all right? So uh, there was a bunch. So this first lady said, love is love means to me that we should all be able to love how we want, and there's nothing wrong with any kind of love. Now, let me print these real quick. She doesn't believe that. She doesn't believe that. Because just like I just said, she wouldn't say that there's nothing wrong with a, love bet- with a romantic love between a parent and a child. She would say, no, that's definitely wrong. That's definitely wrong. It should not be. 
So she doesn't actually believe that. And I want you to see that it's this kind of idea that gets thrown out there, but it's not rooted. And people who say it don't actually believe what they're saying. Love is love. So she says at the end, love is going to save our planet. And I'm like, I agree with you on that. It just depends on what kind of love we're talking about, you know. But yes, love is the only thing that's going to save our planet. And we'll get to that at the end. The next lady says, to me, love is love means that my friends and family and anyone who might love someone is able to love them freely and willingly. No one is telling them that's not okay. They can be celebrated for their differences and appreciated for who they are. The next lady said, it's an experience, it's a drive, it's everything. Okay. And I think it should pretty much rule the world. I think love comes in all forms, not just heterosexual. So now, now she gets more specific. And I think that is pretty amazing. Okay? Love is love is an experience. It's a drive. It's everything. Love is love will rule the world. Love is love will save the planet. Man, this is an amazing, amazing power. Urban Dictionary defines love this way. Love is, I mean, defines the love is love phrase this way. A phrase meaning that love expressed by an individual or couple is valid regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity of their lover or partner. And actually, Urban Dictionary has been more specific than all these other things. So I found Urban Dictionary one of the most helpful places to go to understand what is the world saying, really saying when they say love is love. This is the most specific thing. That love is love means a phrase that love is expressed by an individual couple is valid regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity of their lover or partner. And that's probably what we would all understand the connotation to be. I think most people would say generally that's what the phrase is about. And so what I want to first say and help you understand is that driving all of this is the desire for freedom and equality. So love is love is about freedom and equality. It's about freedom and equality. And I think everyone would agree upon that to say, yeah, we should be free to love who we want. And every type of love should be deemed equal and valid. And so it's freedom and equality. So when you talk about the expression, certain types of relationships, that's not the the deepest thing. The root is the desire for freedom and equality. So what people really are after is not necessarily the ability to love who they want as it's expressed. It's the right to be able to love who they want. It's the freedom to make that decision as they want and to be seen as equally invalid. Now, once again, I'm not going to go over this because we did it on Sunday. But here's something for you to write down. The Christian worldview formed from the Bible gives roots and reasons for the full pursuit of freedom and equality. It expands, not restricts, equality for all people. So once again, if you missed Sunday, just go watch it. The fact that Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that human beings are made in the image of God, is in the beginning of the Bible, is the very reason that anybody has pursued freedom and equality with any rational force. Genesis 1, 26, humans are made in the image of God, is the root and reason why people have pursued equality for all people. As we did on Sunday, you remember the Jenga set, The idea of trying to pursue freedom and equality while pulling out the Christian worldview is like trying to build a Jenga set while pulling out from the bottom. Freedom and equality are inherently Christian ideas. And so to pursue freedom and equality for any real good reason, it requires a Christian worldview. And it necessarily requires Genesis 1, 26. 
Let me share this quote from the Secular Creed, which is the book we're giving you today. Without the God of the Bible, our ideas of human equality and justice have no foundation. The very idea of human rights is, as Harari argues, a Christian invention. So we need Christianity to be right for human rights abuses to be wrong. So the idea being that if the world wants and if the ultimate desire is freedom and equality, it is the Christian worldview that gave people now the notion that they should pursue freedom and equality. And without the Christian worldview being worked in all these different secular realities, people would not even have the idea that there ought to be freedom and equality. That's been something that's been built in, not something that's naturally assumed. And so freedom and equality naturally come, I mean, come supernaturally by the word of God and have been built in by the Christian worldview. So when someone desires freedom and equality, when you desire freedom and equality, you do so because you are a product of environments that have been built by Christian worldviews. And as you try to pursue freedom and equality, while also trying to dismantle Christianity, you are taking the foundation out, and now you're trying to build a life on the air. And so Christianity is going to expand your reasons and give you roots for pursuing freedom and equality. Like we said, real freedom has real limits. You guys know this. Know this. You know this inherently. You are not free to express your anger by murdering someone while not losing your own freedom. Right? I feel angry, but now there's a limit on my ability to express my anger and the limit and the law placed on my personal expression is the very thing that gives freedom to my neighbors. And without the law and without the limit on my self-expression, there would be less freedom, not more. Real freedom requires real limits. And then the next logical thought is this, real love requires real limits. Real love requires real limits. Imagine if I choose to have four wives, which obviously some people do, and there's TV shows about it. If I choose to have four wives, I am not now free to love more, but I am free to love less. Both by quality and by the amount, I will experience less love, not more, because now I will settle for bits and pieces of something as opposed to getting the whole thing. You see what I'm saying? So I take four wives. I have not expanded my ability to give and receive love. I have squished it down. Because instead of giving my whole self to one person and she giving her whole self to me, now I give bits and pieces of myself to others and I get bits and pieces in return. And so real love requires real limits. It requires faithfulness and commitment. By choosing one person, I say no to billions of people, women. But in choosing the one person, I find the ultimate freedom to experience a holistic, beautiful love. Real love requires real limits, and I would not have real love with my wife if I chose to take four other wives. That would limit my experience of love, not expand it. Okay, so you guys got to understand, real love has limits, and real freedom has limits. And you know this in our day and age, openness to anything actually limits your freedom. It's called opportunity paralysis. And you guys experience this 
especially growing up now, maybe you're 19, 20, 21, when you have, you know, people say you can do anything in the world, and that's almost true, and you know you don't even know what to do. You're like my kids who are looking at a, uh, they're at 7-Eleven, and they're trying to choose the ice cream, and I'm like, you can have any ice cream you want, and there's like 30 choices, and they're like, you know, and they just, uh, they literally can't make a decision. I'm like, you can have any ice cream you want, and it's almost like a punishment, and then I'm like, okay, you just need to choose between these two, and then they pick one, and they're happy, and it's like, okay, the limit that I placed on them actually gave them the ability to enjoy the experience, openness to anything will actually delimit my experience of freedom. It's called opportunity paralysis. And so I want you to see this whole idea that love is love, this whole idea that freedom is anything, is actually uh, not helpful and not true. And so that's number one. The second thing then, if limits are good, here's the question, what are God's limits? And I'm going to call this romantic love because we're going to see in a minute Love is love, and all the people's definitions are primarily about romantic and sexual relationships, which is a faulty way to view the word love, because love has so many aspects that aren't romantic or sexual. But now, because that's the driving force, the connotation is love is love is about sexual romantic relationships, and God has limits, and limits are good for freedoms. What are God's limits on romantic love? And what I'm going to do today it's just been a couple minutes showing you the big picture as opposed to doing verse-by-verse verse explanations of certain things you should do and certain things you should not do. And what I want to show you, the big picture, is more important right now. Once again, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is foundational. God has made man and woman, particularly male and female, in his image. They are made in his image to reflect who he is, and together, they give us a better picture of who God is than separate. So God makes male and female, not necessarily just for us, for the world, but for him to show himself to us. And so male and female, necessary realities by our creator that we may know him more clearly. Now, in terms of living it out on the earth, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The idea from marriage is God's idea. The world did not say this is what marriage would be like, or if two people came together to live together and to commit to one another, we'll call that marriage. The world, the world didn't do that. Marriage comes from God. It is God's original idea. If you want to talk about marriage, you have to do so in the context of God's original idea, or you should call it something else. Same thing with freedom and equality. If you want to talk about freedom and equality, you have to do so from God's point of view, or otherwise you must call it something else. So Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold to his wife, they shall become one. Now you say, well, that's Old Testament. Jesus now refers back to that teaching in his own teaching on marriage, Mark 10. 6 through 9 says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What I've heard somebody say on this in terms of Jesus' teaching about sexuality is that there's two ways to tell you something true. Let's say, uh, I got this illustration from J.D. Greer, it's not mine, okay? So let's say you had four women lined up, but you didn't know who I was, and I said, one of them is my wife. 
okay? But all of you know my wife, so you have to pretend like you don't, all right? If I had four women up here, and I said one of them and my wife, there's, there's two ways I could describe who my wife is to you. I could look at the, the three women that aren't, and I could say, shit, this is her name, she's not my wife. This is her name, she's not my wife. This is her name, she's not my wife. And then you could be like, oh, okay, the last one is your wife. Or I could say, that one is my wife, and in clarifying the one, I negate the other three. And you obviously understand that. You don't ask me any more questions after that. I say, that one's my wife. And this is what Jesus does with sexuality and marriage, as opposed to getting into all the details of everything that could be on this. He points to the one and says, that's the right one. And by pointing to the one, makes an obvious implication to negate the rest. Because he points to the one. And he says, this is right. One man, one woman, in covenant commitment to one another. This is what I call marriage. And so this is the big picture of the Bible. Gets clarified even more in Ephesians 5, 21 through 38. Where Paul gives us the picture of marriage as particularly being between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship so that they can glorify God and give a picture of the gospel reality. This is so important. You can write this down. Ultimately, marriage is a temporary sign of an eternal reality. Marriage is a temporary sign of an eternal reality. And as we're going to see, when we idolize romantic relationships and when we idolize marriage, even as Christians, we miss the whole point of the institution altogether. It's temporary. I will not be married to my wife forever. It's temporary. It's a temporary sign of an eternal reality. There is no marriage in heaven, Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30. The only marriage that exists is between Jesus and his bride, the church. So the ultimate form of marriage, the eternal marriage, is the love between Jesus and his people. And so the most fulfilling marriage and the most fulfilling love is the love between Jesus and his people. And marriage on this earth is simply supposed to be a sign of that. And so if we do it any other way, we are going to miss the point. Because it's ultimately not about what you and I experience. It's about God revealing himself to us. So these are some texts. I want you to see the big picture. And the whole point of this is to say that every form of romantic love outside of this one particular way is disapproved of by God, is sinful, and would lead towards a destructive life. These are the limits that God places on romantic love that actually lend to freedom and the fullest experience of love. You can't forget what we just said, that real love has real limits and real freedom has real limits. And so if I'm going to experience love to the max, there has to be some boundary to it. And if anybody's going to set a boundary, it ought to be our creator. So this is what we see to say, okay, this is the big picture. And I want you to know that every time Paul lists anything particular about maybe homosexuality, it's always in the context of a bunch of other sins, both sexual and non-sexual. The whole idea being that certainly one thing is not what we should be pursuing, but it's the whole picture that's wrong. Premarital sex outside of marriage, adultery, all of these things. And Jesus even says, if you look at another woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so what I want you to see and what we should all be proactive to do is to hold and to pursue this one way of love 
and to be intentional to flee from and to encourage people to run away from all other forms. And when we hyper-focus on a particular form that's represented in society, we do so at the neglect of holding other people to every other type of sexual sin God has prescribed that we should not do. It's always together. You have to see that, always together. To say when Paul's describing ways you ought not to live, he does so in chunks. And he gives us this one big picture. And what I want you to understand as you talk about this with friends, as you deal with it yourself, is it certainly matters verse and reference. When does Paul specifically say these things like 1 Timothy 1.10, where he lists things you should not do? That matters. But what matters most is understanding the big picture. Understanding the point of romantic love in the first place. Understanding the point of marriage. Understanding God's big idea. And that's going to help you understand how to live that out now. Okay, so here's the question we must ask now. Is romantic love the greatest kind of love? Here's where I think we really get caught up. Because as you notice all of these quotes and all of the references from the beginning, the idea when you say love is love, nobody talks about parent, child, friend, love, family, cousins, none of that. It's always romantic and always some form of sexual love. And now what we see is that we've idolized romantic and sexual love as the only kind of love that can truly fulfill. We've placed it on a pedestal because we've defined the word love inherently by including romantic and sexual concepts. And now we've idolized this. And I'm going to show you something, okay? This will help you. When you idolize romantic love, you become extremely narrow-minded. The idea is that if you say no to certain kinds of romantic love, you become narrow-minded. But when you idolize love as only and primarily sexual and romantic, as if the only kind of real love that could satisfy a human being and make them complete is romantic, you have become extremely narrow-minded about love. And I want you to see that, once again, God wants to expand, not restrict, the amount of love you can give and receive. God wants you to experience more love, not less. If you idolize sexual love, any experience of that won't fully satisfy. Even in marriage, any romantic relationship, even really good ones, even God-honoring ones, will not complete you. They will not satisfy you. As any person who's been in any relationship, good or bad, can testify that that other person does not have everything that you need. And they never will. The idea that someone else can complete us has yet to be found true in human existence. Nobody would testify to this as true to say, yes, in this person I find my completion, except maybe on their honeymoon for seven days, okay, or something. It's not real life. Okay, so number one, if you idolize it, you're going to not be satisfied, and you'll still feel incomplete because we know love is way more than sexual and romantic. So don't be so narrow-minded. Idolizing love is not only narrow-minded, it's also, idolizing romantic love is narrow-minded, it's also burdensome. Listen to this. When you idolize romantic love, this kind of love can only be experienced if I have the ability to persuade or charm someone or be smart or pretty or funny or rich enough to win someone over. The only way that I can, I can experience romantic and sexual love 
apart from force and manipulation, when I can try to win someone over, is for me to be enough to convince somebody else that they ought to be in a relationship with me. And if romantic love is the only kind of love that truly satisfies, then the burden is on me and my looks and my intelligence and my wit and my resources to get myself in a position where I can experience life's greatest gift, romantic love. And if I can't pull it off, then I will never experience real love. And the whole world lives under the burden of that weight. And that's why we have so many ways to change our appearance and to change the way that we are. Because if we can't convince someone to love us romantically, then we will never experience life's greatest gift, romantic love. And that is incredibly, incredibly burdensome. God wants to expand the amount of love you can give and receive, not restrict it. And God wants to lift the burdens you're carrying to impress to charm, or to win someone else over, because God's love is unconditional. God's love meets you in the middle of your mess and loves you anyways. God's love comes to you. It's not something you have to go get. And I want you to understand how beautiful God's love is for you. So here's something else to write down. The love of the Bible depicts is more expansive than exclusive because it validates and deepens the different ways love can be expressed in relationships. What the Bible does is elevate the family of God love, friend love. I heard, uh, it's in the book Secular Creed, she'll say the Bible commands same-sex relationships. Which is a great way to think about it, because what is she saying? The Bible commands that you experience real, deep, authentic, life-changing love in the context of same-sex relationships, it's just not romantic. And when we've idolized romance and I have same-sex attraction, the only way I can fulfill my love desire is to be in a romantic same-sex relationship because a regular same-sex relationship won't cut it. And what the Bible wants to do is, once again, look how restricted that is. I have same-sex attractions, and the only way I can experience love, romantic love, is to be in a same-sex relationship. And so now, instead of receiving the good gift of God to be in the family of God and to navigate my feelings, which are real, I have to find a way to romanticize my love because the world told me romantic and sexual love is the only love that will complete me. And so now the only thing I know what to do with the same-sex the same-sex feelings that I would have is to say I must express them sexually or I will not get the full benefit of having them. And what the Bible wants to do is say, no, 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 that's way too narrow-minded. That's way too exclusive. That's way too restrictive. The Bible wants to open you up and to give you ample opportunity to build a wide variety of appropriate and deep non-romantic relationships that in the Bible's terms ought to be just as fulfilling as a romantic relationship. When you idolize romantic love, you become extremely narrow-minded about the kind of love you ought to pursue and the kind of love that will satisfy you. 
John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his spouse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his significant other. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for the romantic relationship that he is involved in. No, no, no. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. 1 Thessalonians 4.12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. 1 John 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John 13.34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And what the church should be really good at offering is a place to be fully known and fully loved. And if we're not good at that, the fact that the world's going somewhere else is our fault. No wonder. If they can't find it here, what else are they going to do? And so we ought to feel the burden and the opportunity and the privilege, privilege of being a place where people experience life-changing, life-altering, satisfying, fulfilling love that is neither romantic nor sexual. And if we can't build that, the world can't offer it, and so we're the only hope for someone to experience that. This is very important for us to do. When I free myself from idolizing sexual love, I become more open to the authentic love of various relationships. God wants to expand, not restrict, the love you can give and receive. As Rebecca says in Secular Creed, in our culture today, it's easy to believe that sexual love is the peak of human intimacy followed closely by parental love. Within this mentality, it's easy for Christians to believe that the nuclear family is the locus for all real lasting love. But Jesus torpedoes this idea. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus declares, and then he laid down his life for his friends. According to Jesus, friendship isn't the poor cousin of romantic love. Self-sacrificing friendship love is just as good as any other kind. And we ought to prioritize building that kind of love well within a setting like this. So finally, the move from love is love to God is love. God's love is the ultimate fulfillment. God is love simply is more freeing and satisfying than love is love. Well, let me show you as we close. God's love is better, Psalm 63.3. Your steadfast love is better than life. God's love is unconditional, Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is not earned or merited by your good looks, your appeal, your wisdom, your wit, your resources, and your charm. God's love is given to you in your mess. God's love is sacrificial. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he told the world what to do all the time and demanded that they come up to his expectations. God's, no, no, no. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is continual, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's love is straight. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It never changes. God's love is satisfying, Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
you're looking for full joy, and you're looking for pleasure forever, God, not romantic love, is the place to find it. God's love is secure, Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, height, debt, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want a love that is secure, you ought not find it in any romantic love in this world, good or bad. If you want a love that is secure, you ought not find it in any other person in this world, good or bad. If you want a love that is secure, you ought not look into yourself to try to figure that out. If you want a love that is secure, the only resource to provide that kind of love to you is God himself. God wants to expand, not restrict, your idea of love. As I said in the beginning, the one person quoted said, love will save our planet, and she's right. But it's the love that comes from Jesus, not the love that comes from the world. When we trade love is love, for God is love, we're finally going to experience real love. Let me pray. Let's close out. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. I pray that you would help us really understand the love you have for us, that we would receive and walk in it, that we would deliver truth in love, that we would be satisfied in your love. I pray that you would give us wisdom to help the world see the love that you offer them. Continue to guide our time now, Lord. We simply want to glorify you, and we want to help everyone understand the love you have for them, that they may fully experience life as you have designed it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.